The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. In 1942, the world was at war. Across the vast Pacific Ocean, Imperial Japan had garnered an impressive array of island conquests. But things were about to change as the Allies, and in particular the United States military, began to take the offensive. One of the Allies' first operations occurred in late summer. On August 7th, U.S. Marines came ashore on the island called Guadalcanal in an attempt to capture the island and, most importantly, its airfield. The fighting on the island was vicious, costly. Over the weeks and months of battle, for quite some time, no one was really sure how things were going to turn out. Eventually, it was an American victory, and certainly there were many things, many events and many particular engagements that, that proved helpful and, and proved to be turning points, but certainly one particular engagement, one particular night on one particular ridgeline, it's pretty important. On the night of September 13th, on Lunga Ridge, Marine infantry held off large numbers, very large numbers, of Japanese attackers. Now that type of event in itself was common for the war, but what history has noted about this particular battle was the method employed by the Marines to defeat this attack and the remarkable effectiveness of this method. See, Marines pride themselves on being riflemen. But they didn't win this particular battle primarily with rifles. They won it with radios. Radios held in individual hands, whispered into in fear in the night. Radios, in themselves not ordinarily a very deadly item but on the other end of which were, far away and unseen, powerful artillery batteries, ready to fire and support. Life-saving, situation-changing, battle-winning, explosive power available upon radio request. Without such power or without accessing such power, that night and perhaps the whole battle for the island would have gone quite differently. Now, I don't recount this story to, to lift up and glorify the Marines or, or warfare in general. I tell this story to make one simple point. A point that any soldier the world over understands. A point that Paul, a first century spiritual soldier, understood as well. When you are in a battle, calling out for such powerful help as this is a good idea. Not doing so, deciding that you can just fight on your own and make it, is foolish. Your life, the life of others, may actually depend on you accessing this power. Soldiers everywhere understand that. Paul wants you to understand that as well. That's what he's driving at in this passage this morning. 
We're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17 to 20. And that's what he's getting at. He wants to urge you to call on available power. He wants to urge you to pray. That's what he's getting at. Last week I mentioned this analogy of a plane flight as the way of looking at the book of Ephesians. Well, we are at the landing right now. This is the last part of the, the meat of the book. Next week we're going to do a largely a review of the whole thing. This, this passage this morning, 17 to 20, and the previous verses, 10 to 16, they're really all tied together. They are thematically connected. You'll hear that in the main point for this morning. Here it is. Because you are in a great spiritual battle, be vigilant in prayer. Because you are in a great spiritual battle, that's the part that connects to last week. So we're going to review that a little bit. We need to bring that in. Because you are in a great spiritual battle, there is something you must do. You must call out for available, powerful help. You must pray Ask, and you shall receive. You must be diligent in this, persistent. You must pray with vigilance. It's the final note in this letter. Pray. Two questions arise in regards to prayer in this passage, I think. First, why should I pray? And secondly, how should I pray? So those are the two questions that I'm going to ask this morning. Ask them and then answer them. First, let me read the passage. I'm going to go back to verse 12 to catch the spiritual warfare imagery. So I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. Our first question this morning will take us back into what I just read, primarily back into a lot from last week. Ask the first question, here it is, why should I pray? And the answer is, because you are in a spiritual combat zone. Why should I pray? Because you're in a spiritual combat zone. Moment by moment, daily, you get up in, you walk around in, you exist in a spiritual war. It's often unseen, but it's there all the time. 
Last week's passage talked about this. We covered it then. Verses 10 and 11, the first half of 11, command you to be strong in the Lord by putting on His armor. Paul repeatedly prayed for that and taught us about that throughout the book of Ephesians. And then here in this last prominent place at the end of the book, he urged it on us again in this memorable warfare and armor imagery. We are to be strong by means of the armor of God. That was 10, the first half, 11. And then in 11 and through 13, he gave us reason to put on that armor. Why do we have to do that? Because of where we are, because we're in a spiritual battle. We are engaged not against flesh and blood, but against Satan himself and all of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the spiritual realm, we are constantly at war against vicious enemies. That's who's opposing us, and they are cunning in their scheming, and they are playing for keeps. Remember what their goal was? Now, you probably know this, but as I said, it was kind of helpful for me to be explicit and put it on the table and look at it so that I knew what we were both after. Do you remember what they're scheming for? They're scheming for your heart, trying in any way possible to pry your heart away from Christ and to spiritually kill you and drag you off to hell if they can. This is real. And if they can't drag you to hell because you've placed faith in Christ genuinely, then they at least want to maim you and wound you such that you and your testimony are so compromised that you're more of a liability than an asset to the kingdom of God. And His honor is diminished and the kingdom will not advance. That's what they're after. That's what you must stand against. That's what's going on. That's the environment in which we live. And so our great need, your great need then, is to stand against this and not fall, to be spiritually strengthened against this spiritual attack. You must stand against it. You must guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So to help in that, God has given us His strengthening spiritual armor, which we must put on. Then verses 14 to 16, really verse 17 also from this morning, describes that armor. Now, he's... He's not described all of the armor that a soldier would have worn. He's been selective. We talked about that also. Remember why he was selected? Do you remember why he picked certain things? It's not because there's, there's some unique connection between like righteousness in our chest or something like that. There's another connection. He's taken this from the book of Isaiah. The items of armor and the related phrases are taken over from Isaiah's description of the great warrior, the Messiah, coming to defeat evil. Isaiah uses those images talking about the Lord triumphing clothed in righteousness, wearing the helmet of salvation, slaying the wicked with the word of his mouth. That's his imagery, and so Paul takes that and then he dresses us up in it for our battle here as well. The effect is to say, if you hope to stand against and if you hope to defeat the spiritual forces of evil who are coming at you, you need to put on what God is. It's sanctification. You must put on truth and righteousness and salvation. You must be sanctified. You must grow in Christ's likeness to fight this battle. Put Him on and then walk in Him. Obviously, verse 17 belongs right in with that armor word picture. Isaiah also pictures the Messiah as coming with the helmet of salvation 
and killing the wicked with the word of his lips. We too must clothe ourselves in this glorious salvation. We must wrap our minds in it. Bathe our thinking in it. Meditate on it. Be strengthened by the sure fact that it has been given to us and will not be withdrawn. Strengthened by that against all sorts of various attacks and temptations. Enabled to stand by contemplating what precious things the salvation has acquired for you. A glorious inheritance kept in heaven for those who believe. At the center of that inheritance, fellowship, communion with God Himself. It is a great salvation to the praise of His glorious grace, the refrain of chapter 1. And as you reflect on that, as you clothe your mind in it and internalize it, there is great help for you in your fight against, in your attempt to stand against all that attempts to pry you away from this great God who has worked such a marvelous thing on your behalf. Do you see how that's helpful to you? As you're looking at this great salvation and all that is acquired for you, as the inheritance that is kept in heaven for you comes near to your mind and you see it, and it's right there for you, you see what heaven will be what true peace will be, what communion with God is like, and then along comes some other offer of sin. It appears weak in comparison. Now, it won't appear weak if you've got nothing to compare it against. So you must be clothed in this salvation, in its glorious inheritance. Or, when something comes along, something rises up in you, whether it be just your own sinful nature or temptation from the outside that says, I want my way. My way is better. But you read or you see that the Lord's way is different. And you're in a struggle there. Something in you is trying to pry you away from God to follow yourself. And there's a struggle there. But if the Lord who has won this great salvation for you looms large in your mind, it would seem foolish to depart from Him. Something has captured you and enthralls you. This person and His glory it's like being in love. I don't mean like married people love. I mean dating people love. <laughs> Engaged people love, maybe. You pick up the phone and you call your girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance, whatever, and you say, to use Obed's word, sweetie. <laughs> I... <laughs> Let's go out to a movie tonight. I really want to go to a movie. I've been thinking about going to see an XYZ movie. And she says, I kind of want to go out to eat. And you say, great, let's go out to eat. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> it's because fundamentally you want what sweetie wants. She's captured your mind and your heart. You need to be in that place with the Lord. And how you get there is not by saying, I need to be in that place with the Lord. How you get there is you wrap your mind in this great salvation. And you see in Him, not just, great, He's forgiven me, but you see more than that, you see, what kind of God would forgive a person like me?
get in touch with who you are, and you realize, I see my sin. Oh, wretch that I am. I see who I am, but He has forgiven me and cleansed me and drawn me near and calls me friend and son and heir. What kind of God is that? Glory to Him. Whatever you want must be better than whatever I want. You wouldn't do that for me and then rip me off in life. That's how you get to the point where God has a hold of your heart. Not just by saying you must be there, but by using the means to get there. Prayer has a big part of that. We're going to get to that in a little bit. You find out about all this stuff in the Scripture, which is why it has unique place. The sword of the Spirit, that is the Word of God, verse 17. A lot's been said in... I'm sure you've heard about this. If you look through those pieces of armor, this is the only offensive piece there. It's the only piece that can actually hurt anybody who's attacking. It's the only piece that can kill anything. How does it kill the attackers coming at you? How does it fight them off? Well, it brings to you, it's how we know about the truth, the peace, the righteousness, the salvation, all the things listed there. We find out about them right here. It is unique. We need it. You need it. It's a critical piece of your armor. So yes, verse 17 belongs in with 14, 15, and 16. You live in a spiritual combat zone and you need to be strengthened through sanctification in order to stand. And 17 is a part of that. It should be abundantly clear. But if verse 17 is a part of this armor, then why didn't I include it in last week's passage? certainly could have, and in a lot of ways it would have been more natural to have done so. It would have been easier in some ways. Instead, though, I left it for this week because I wanted to have this particular conversation with you, like right now for the next five minutes. I wanted to avoid inadvertently in your mind drawing a line between verse 17 and verse 18. To separate the spiritual warfare and the armor and leave that six days ago and then now we'll talk about prayer. I don't want to divide those two things. I want to use verse 17 as a bridge to help point out Paul's connection between the spiritual combat zone of life and its armor, the connection between that and prayer. Remember, the first question we're working on here is, why should I pray? And I've answered that by saying, because you live in a spiritual combat zone. That statement is connecting these two things. That's what I'm asserting. Why do I do that? Why do I connect the spiritual combat to prayer? Because Paul does. The grammar here in this passage ties these things together. Now, if, depending on what English translation you're reading, there'll be periods in different places because some, somebody had to make a decision about how to break up a really long sentence. Got to put some periods in somewhere. But if your Bible has paragraphs, verse 18 will almost surely be in the same paragraph with verse 17. It should be. Because they are connected grammatically and thematically. They're working together here. Paul sees prayer as a battlefield radio. 
I need to make that clear because that's my main argument here in these five minutes. And it's probably the part of the sermon that most of us most need to hear. Verse 18 does not begin a different topic. Do not read it like this. Verses 10 to 17 say, you are in a spiritual combat zone, so put on the armor of God. Oh, and now since we're basically done, let's close in prayer. Not like that. They're connected. Rather, you should read it like this. You are in a spiritual combat zone, so put on the armor of God praying. You're in a spiritual combat zone, you stand praying. Stand, put on the armor, in, by, with prayer. You see what I'm saying here? Let me put this another way. You could start at verse 14 if you wanted to. You could reach back there and say, stand therefore praying. You could add in the details as you follow. You could stand therefore clothed by prayer in truth. Clothed by prayer in righteousness. Clothed by prayer in peace and salvation with the word of God in hand. All of it by prayer. Prayer is critical in Paul's mind for putting on Christ, for sanctification. Paul, Paul has, prayer is critical to him for putting on Christ to stand. That's the connection right here. 17 flows right into 18. The reality of the combat zone and the need for victorious, powerful equipping leads to prayer. That's what you need, so pray. You live in a spiritual combat zone. I needed to make that explicit. See that connection. But I imagine that some of us here are, are kind of thinking, okay, great, I see that. I see, okay. I see that Paul says we should pray because we're spiritual warfare. Good. Kind of already knew that. Makes a lot of sense. I should pray because I need prayer. Got it. Why are you spending so much energy on this, Steve? I'm doing so because I want to know why I don't pray like I know I should. Why don't you pray like you know you should? I imagine, I would suggest, that the weakness of my prayer life, the degree to which my prayer life is weak, and the degree to which your prayer life is weak, is the degree to which we don't actually see this obvious connection. We know about it, of course, but we don't actually see it in a way that grips us. We don't pray because we get up in the morning and progress through the day oblivious to the battle. If the invisible spiritual battle and the invisible spiritual combat zone in which the battle exists and the invisible spiritual forces of evil who are fighting against us were visible, clear to us as day, I am entirely confident that I would be much more diligent in my efforts to armor up by prayer. I'd be scared spitless. I cannot imagine those Marines on Guadalcanal, tense at the edge of their foxholes, hearing the sounds of the enemy in the night, thinking, ah, don't bother with the radio. We have this one under control. Or even more so, oblivious to the whole thing, as the enemy moves in the night, sitting there thinking, I wonder how the Cubs are doing right now. 
Or, you know, pencil in hand, if I can save up three more months of combat pay, I'll have enough to buy that new truck that Ford's coming out with. I wonder if it has leather seats. I cannot imagine that. But that's how many in the church live amidst our combat zone every day. Isn't it? Isn't it? This reality about the spiritual combat zone we live in has not gripped us. And the primary purpose of prayer being to equip us for combat has not gripped us. We understand that we're supposed to pray, of course, but in the absence of compelling vision of the great danger we are in, and in lack of vision of our utter inability to win the fight with our own hands, in the absence of that vision, we've turned prayer into something else. Prayer for many of us, at many times, is no longer a battlefield enterprise. Instead it is, to borrow someone else's imagery, it's become a domestic intercom, most commonly used to call from the den up to the kitchen and request some more snacks and goodies to be sent down. That's how we use it, often. And what invariably happens is when we turn prayer into that, somewhere along the line we decide, you know, frankly, I've got enough snacks and goodies right here in the bowl. Or you decide, I can actually just go get them myself, and you stop using the intercom. Put simply, prayerlessness is largely a vision problem. We don't see the battle, and we don't see prayer's purpose in the battle. Brothers and sisters, Paul wants to correct that in you. May he have his way. May God have his way in you. What he's done is all that he can do. He's prayed for you. God, strengthen them with power through your spirit and their inner being. He's prayed that for you. Here he tells you the truth about the reality that you're in, and then he entrusts you to God. That's all that he can do. That's all that any of us can do. That's all that I can do. Pray for you, tell you the truth, and entrust you to God. I pray that it sticks. You must pray because you are in a great spiritual war. You're in a combat zone all of the time. Pray with vigilance. It's the first question. Why? The second question addressed in 18 to 20 is how. How should I pray? You should pray to stand and pray to advance. How should I pray? Pray to stand and to advance. These verses will point us towards prayer that is equipping and strengthening, that enables us to stand, and towards prayer that causes us to reach out and expand, to advance the kingdom such that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Those two things. First the standing, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So just explaining, this verse flows directly out of the call to stand in verse 14. It comes right out of that. By putting on the armor of God, by pursuing sanctification. We are to do this continually by prayer in the Spirit. You need to look and see that battle. Realize that you're in the war zone. And moment by moment, small engagements, subtle attacks, full-on frontal assaults, 
They all arise from moment to moment. There's no break. You don't get Tuesday afternoons off. No truce in this war. It is always there for all the joys and beauty in life. And there are certainly things in life that are delightful. There are good things here, but behind all of that, there is a constant war being waged between good and evil, between dark and light. And you're in it. You just are. You don't have any choice. All of us, whether Christians or not, all of us are in it. It's true. So day in and day out, at all times, danger comes. I'm sure there are sometimes unique, blatant, demonic activities. Those are certainly the minority, though. Most commonly, it's just subtle things. The stuff that happens in the hallway that kind of ticks you off and tempts you towards anger. The fear over money that tempts you to take things in your own hands. Subtle stuff like that. It can arise from your own flesh, from the world around you, and it can be demonic. All levels of involvement here can lead to just subtle things that are in the battle. You need to be aware of all of that. It's there all the time. Gentle things coming along, just trying to nudge you just a little bit further away from God. Wake up and see them. They are everywhere. So you must be in prayer at all times in the Spirit. Now, regardless of what we may think individually about whether the gift of tongues is for today or not, regardless of that, this passage is not talking about that. Paul is elsewhere clear that the gift of tongues is only given to some, but he expects everybody here to do this. Prayer in the Spirit is prayer that is conducted by Christians who are directed by, empowered by, and informed by the Spirit of God. He alone gives us alone access to God. He takes us there, and He will guide us in caring to God all of the proper Prayers and supplications, all the things that are needed just now and so at this time and then. Prayers and supplications, those are largely redundant words. Slight difference, but they're largely redundant. Repeated here for emphasis. And notice, he not only says essentially the same word, but he says both of those words twice. So it's like saying almost the same thing four times in one verse. And then throw in the word all... Wrap that together, and and what you have is you have a broad, repeated call to constantly offer up Spirit-filled, Spirit-inspired prayers and requests to God. He's serious about this. Do it. But what are those requests to be? Well, he doesn't exactly specify. He doesn't say, pray this, that, and the other. The text isn't explicit, and there certainly are just legion of things we could pray for. But here I think is where the context is again helpful for us. This is not a, can I have another snack down in the den sort of prayer. Paul has combat on the brain here when he comes into verse 18. So spirit-led, spirit-filled prayers to God, primarily I think in this context should be prayer that enables us to stand and fight the great fight we face. To fight the war. That's clearly dominating Paul's perspective here. And it must dominate ours also as we come to prayer. So there are two categories of things that I think this context suggests we should pray. Both of them, they fit with the two slightly different military metaphors that I've been using so far. You know, the military metaphor of the armor on us 
and the artillery that lands out there. The armor on us protects us from attacks against us. And artillery disrupts and changes the circumstances all around us. Two different things there. We should pray for both of them. Don't just pray, God help me. That is a prayer. And, and if that's where you are, if, if you're in that kind of a situation where you're that desperate, or perhaps you're just beginning to learn to pray, pray like that. That's fine. It's prayer. It's good. But better still, take the Word of God in hand, read it and pray, for instance, God help me. I've been reading Ephesians chapter 5, the beginning of that. God help me to understand your teaching about human sexuality and purity in marriage. Help me to see that. Wrap that around me, Lord. Clothe me in that so that when the temptations in that area come at me, I'll be better able to resist them. Or, God help me. I've been reading the first three chapters of Ephesians again. See, you've written there about your salvation. God help me to understand that and to be gripped by it. Help me to understand that you've removed guilt from me that I stand in grace before you, that you look on me with a smile, that even when you discipline me, Lord, it is not out of wrath, but it is out of love. Help me to understand that because it's hard, Lord. Or, God help me to commune with you and to find rest in you for my soul. The psalmist says, I read, that righteousness will go before you and make your footsteps away. Help me, Lord, to find you and to follow you to walk in your footsteps. You pray like that. You pray those sorts of things. And what's happening is that God will commission the Spirit to come and live in you and take those truths and strengthen your armor with them. You'll be able to resist attack. You pray for that, the sanctifying armor, and you pray for artillery strikes to land and to change the circumstances all around. You see the difference in those two things. The armor doesn't change the circumstances. It changes your reaction to them. And the artillery, so to speak, changes the circumstances. It drives off the attackers. It changes the world. It, it renovates and it changes all kinds of evil in world systems all around us. The options are, you know, you could pray for endless things here. This type of prayer is what we're called to. It's how we are equipped in those two ways to stand against attack. But it requires diligence. Middle of verse 18. To this end, that is towards the goal of persistently praying wide-ranging, spirit-led prayers that enable us to stand towards that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Be vigilant. Pay sharp attention to discern what is needed at the time for yourself and for all others. It's important there, for all others. You see that? We're in this together. This is a team sport. We're to fight together. I need you to pray for me. I need you to be alert, seeing what I need, and then pray for it for me. And vice versa, me for you. It takes concentration, though. You have to be alert and vigilant. Put yourself in the foxhole again on Guadalcanal. Peer out through the night. Look for reflections and shadows from the moonlight. Listen 
to faint sounds of people moving. Listen to the usual sounds of the jungle night stopping, indicating something's up. Listen, pay attention, watch, and get on the radio. Do this with vigilance. We need all the powerful help we can get in order to stand. So pray to stand and pray to advance. Verses 19 and 20. Be a little more brief here. Paul prays for himself, and I take it that he does so because he is looking straight ahead at a trial before Caesar. He's in prison. He's probably got that on the brain. But I don't think that he leaves us out because we're supposed to just read this as a historical note and then move on because it doesn't apply to us. Constantly, Paul says things like, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and he's often setting up a model for us to follow. So I think that we're in these verses too. We are to pray for Paul and for each other. A couple of things related to the gospel advancing. He wants clarity and expression. That's the words be given to me. Some words would come out of his mouth when he opens it, I'm sure. He's not just praying for some words, he's praying for the right words, for clarity of expression. And he prays for boldness. Twice. Paul, apostle extraordinaire, wants boldness. He doesn't want to shrink back. I take it that we would need that too. So we should pray for each other, for clarity and for boldness. We need this perspective, to, to want these things in the first place. Perspective that says, God, I am going to be involved in advancing the gospel, in advancing your kingdom. Would you give me boldness so that I don't shrink back, and clarity so that I do it well? We need to pray those things for ourselves, for each other. This gospel in Ephesians is for you, it's for your children, and it's for those far off all whom the Lord will call. He's determined to use you as the means to bring in those He has called. He still is doing that. He's going to use your proclamation and your prayers to advance the kingdom. See, we're involved in this war. The reason that we're still here and involved in this war is ultimately the highest purpose for the glory of the Lord. And He's gaining glory in us in this battle in two different ways. One, as we stand against assault and show what God does, what the Lord does in changing a person's life to say no to this stuff. He gains glory for Himself in that way. And He gains glory for Himself as we advance with the gospel by His power to call in His children and expand His kingdom and triumph over evil in that way. He's about doing that. He's going to use you. In the meantime, that means that you are in a spiritual battle. See that. See the war around. And because you see it, be vigilant in prayer. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801 
9430091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.